We praise His name. Amen. So as we said, the Bible tells us that Jesus loves us. How many believe that? Oh, there's a little bit more of you awake today. Awesome. How many believe that the Word of the Lord is alive? Amen? How many believe that the Word of the Lord says that He loves us? Amen? How many believe that the Word of the Lord should be shared in this world today? Amen? So then, without further ado, we're going to come up with the Word of the Lord. Amen? Brother Ed Trenner? Bring the word. All right. I'm not sure, Dave, this is probably loud enough, but maybe too loud. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Oh, somebody already said that, didn't they? Can you hear me now? <laughs> All right. Um, we were just singing the song, uh, Yes, Jesus Loves Me. I remember <clears throat> I had a flashback. Why am I choking up on you here? <clears throat> the, um, uh, help me clear my throat. That's good. That's when I do, I hear you do it. That feels good. But, uh, I had a flashback with that, Joey. And that was at uh, a, a warm summer Sunday afternoon on our way home from church. Uh, three daughters, uh, grade school age. Uh, junior high, grade school age. We're driving on our way back home, and we come up to an intersection, and we're singing at the top of our voice, Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And our windows are down, and we're at the stoplight, and we're singing away, and I look across, and there's a car right beside us, looking and going, What is going on over there? That was, a, that was just pure joy. And my daughters all smiled at him and sang even louder because they believed what they were singing. And that's pretty cool. Well, this morning, we're going to continue in uh, Colossians in chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be beginning in um, um, verse 13. But um, before, I want to remind just a piece of history that will play a part in our understanding, I think, at least in application of the text we're reading today. And that is in August 5th, 2010, seven years ago, the tunnels in the San Jose copper mine in Chile collapsed. There was instant panic over the 30 miners that were below the rubble. Uh, Were they dead? Were they alive? Uh, No one knew for at least two weeks. Imagine you survived, and this is a picture from the chamber that they lived in for 69 days. Cut off from the world, 2,300 feet above them, nearly a half mile down into the earth. Desperate for rescue. And helpless. Above, on the surface, the people were checking all their maps and diagrams and planning their rescue, scrambled to build an escape capsule about 14 feet tall, uh, had a chamber about 6 feet tall, about 21 inches in diameter, 
And they had to drill a 28-inch hole a half mile down into the earth in hopes to reaching the survivors, if there were. It took several days for the preliminary five-inch hole that they had to drill, just trying to find if there was any evidence of life. On the 17th day of drilling, a retrieved drill bit had a note attached to it. Estamos bien en el refugio los 33. We are well in the shelter, the 33. There was excitement for all. We've been found. They're alive. Well, the excitement was short-lived, for it was another 52 days before they would reach the light of day, one by one, using the escape capsule that was built. Well, at the end of those 69 days, when all were on the surface, there was a great celebration that was going on. People that were dead are now alive. People that were lost have been found. People in darkness have come to light. It was in a moment like that when people who are atheists tend to believe. Well, with all that excitement that followed afterwards, there was a celebration in the the president's uh, uh, palace. President Piñera and his wife honored the bravery of these 33 men. This is a picture of what we're going to read today. And I think some of these images and some of the feelings that maybe were evoked in you and remembering this story will help you understand how much God loves you and me. I would that we all understood our desperate state before God. I would that we understood the darkness that we live in apart from Him. I would that I believe the words of Jesus that without Him we can do nothing. I would that we could understand what He has done and what He's doing now to rescue us and to bring us to life. I would that we would know the celebration of a life that's restored in Him. And to know that He's working in our behalf to perform His rescue of us every day. It was an amazing thing for me, a life-changing thing for me, when the thought moved in on me and enveloped me that... uh, Whoever you are on the face of the earth and breathing, God has been and is and will continue to pursue you. He loves you. There's no way you can get away from that pursuit. For he understands the desperate situation and life that we live in. He knows our heart and our bent to wander away, the bent in our heart to be rebellious, the bent in our heart to do it our own way and be our own person and be our own God. 
And he knows how the darkness comes in that. And he knows what he can offer to you and what he created you to be and to know and experience in life. If we'd only realize our helplessness and realize his rescue. Paul wrote to the uh, young believers in Colossae, and we looked at it last week, that it was uh, approximately 57 A.D. that Epaphras came from Colossae to Ephesus and was there when Jesus was preaching. It was there, uh, not Jesus, but Paul was preaching Jesus. And it was there that Ephesus came to faith. I'm not Ephesus, Epaphras. I'm doing really well so far. Epaphras came to faith and he went back to the city of Colossae and took with him the gospel that he had heard from Paul. And many in the city believed and a church was formed in Colossae. Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians approximately 62 A.D., five years later which would tell me this is a pretty young church. And there were things that were concerned to Paul that he had heard from Epaphras and from others, from Philemon, from Onesimus, the slave who ran away, that uh, Paul knew about the situation in Colossae, although he had never been there. And there were some things that he was concerned about that they hear. And I suggested to you last week that... uh, Paul, in his introduction, said this letter written to the the brethren in Colossae, and I exchanged the word Colossae for Norwalk, because this letter to, to the Colossians is most certainly from God, a letter to us. So listen to these words uh, today from the text as uh, God's thought, God's heart toward you. If you want to read with me, I'm reading from the New American Standard, but I'm reading uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 24. In verse 13, For he, God, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, were the things on earth or things in heaven. And although we were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he, Jesus, has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established 
and steadfast and not removed away from the hope of the gospel you have heard. I want to go back and uh, review this text, kind of walk our way through it together and see if we can gain some understanding of the kind of rescue that God has performed in us. Verse 13, 14 says this, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Does that have any parallels to the story I read to you at the beginning about the mine in Chile? From the domain of darkness, not for a few hours, not for just a night, but not no for 17 days. If you'd ever get out of the dark hole that you're in. Not knowing if anybody above believes you're even alive after all that had happened. Or if, how even possibly, they could get whatever needs we would need for water or food to us a half mile above on the surface. That's a dark place to be. And yet I am quite confident that uh, many of you here this morning, if not all of you, have had moments of darkness that felt like that in your life. When the one you trusted the most betrayed you. When the one who you pursued with great love and care didn't want you. When the job and the place where you have worked and offered your life for for decades says we don't need you anymore. When the doc says, ah, You know, this is kind of the way of life. Um, We live it as best we can, but we are temporary, and you're not going to survive what you're dealing with right now. I don't know what that dark hole is. Maybe it's self-doubt. Maybe it's failure. Maybe it's just an overload of guilt from a life of rebellion and living freely and without any concern about anybody else, let alone yourself. And you live in that memory of all that and the pain and the results of all that. Everything I've just described is a pretty dark hole. It's a domain of darkness. And Paul wanted the people in Colossae to know That he, the Son of God, God the Father, has rescued us from this domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. 
while the miners were in the darkness, helpless and desperate, one of the men from up above climbed into the capsule that had never been tested and rode it to the bottom to be with the miners. One from safety from above left, rode the capsule a half mile down into the earth to the miners, became one of them in that moment. And having traveled the course, helped them into the capsule one by one and helped them be rescued, transferred from the domain of darkness to a kingdom of light above. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus. And he did this out of redemption, it says. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word uh, redemption comes from the word redeem, to redeem something. The Greek word uh, translated redeemed is a word that they used when someone would go to the marketplace where they sold slaves and they would buy a slave and take them home and set them free. The word redeems means to be bought out of slavery and set free. And that's what Jesus did for us. We're going to see how that plays out in the, the course of life and, and how he played, how he demonstrated that, how he pursued that, did that for us. But he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son and whom we have redemption. And with that, the forgiveness of sin. All that could be held against us, that we would be forgiven. In the next five verses in the text, we have a description of of the one who performed all of this for us, Jesus. In verse uh, uh, 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus. I remember the words of Jesus uh, in uh, John chapter 14, verse 9. To just show us the Father. And Jesus said, Have you been with me so long? He that has seen me has seen the Father. The Father and I are one. He's the image of the invisible God. The God I cannot see fleshed himself out in Jesus. And understanding for me in English words, concepts of things, a father and a son. And the father offered his son, one and of the same God, offered of himself. That the invisible God would be fleshed out, that we can see and experience and hear. It's a part of living history. He was Emmanuel, God with us. 
Many have confused the statement here is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There are people around us of religious uh, persuasion who say, see, he really isn't God. He was born like man. He's the firstborn of the creation. But he's, he's the firstborn. He was born. Well, I have to understand that... Uh, in a family, uh, maybe not so much here in the U.S. culture, but in many places in the U.S., depending on the family culture, um, the firstborn, the, the eldest, has rank in the family. It's usually the firstborn who gets to take care of the will and the properties and the inheritance and stuff and, and do the litigation. It's the firstborn. It's the firstborn who's responsible for mom and dad. It's the firstborn who has bears greater responsibility, has rank. And it's in that context that Jesus here, the firstborn of all creation, has rank because he, as it says in the next verse, was the one who created all things. And that put him first above all creation. I just wanted to explain that, except those who come knocking at your door would tell you something different. In verse 16, it says, For by him, this one, the Son of God, the image of the invisible God, for by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Now, sometimes I've had confusion in the past about, well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the sun showed up about 2,000 years ago. Do you understand the mistake and all of that? Go back and read the, the uh, record of creation in Genesis chapter 1. And indeed it does say, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And down about, about verse 13, 14, somewhere in this says, it says, and God said, let us, Make man in our image. And then I went back through chapters 1 and 2, and again I'm reading through creation, and how many times there's reference to the Godhead as being us. The God of Genesis. And what I find here in Paul's instruction, and we find that in other texts as well, that the agent of creation, the one attributed to the creation of all things, is Jesus. For by him all things were created. Go to John chapter 1. You'll find the same thing there. This thought is significant for the Colossians. For they lived in a pagan culture and under a pagan government that ruled with an iron fist and opposed their faith. Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 28, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And I am with you always, even into the end of the age. He could say that because he's the creator of everything, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Nothing is in place 
without his permission. Now, I have some conversation about that with him, about why he's allowed some things to be. I know it'll be a very brief conversation. I'll be awed beyond myself just being in his presence. God knows things I don't know. God knows things we don't know. Why do things happen the way they happen? Why do people do what they do? Why do I feel what I feel? This isn't how I would have played it. I wouldn't have written a script like this. I'm grateful for Isaiah who recorded that God's ways are higher than our ways. But I'm convinced of this in scripture and in the experience of life that God is good. And that he loves us. And he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. We're willing to submit to his purposes. This is the God who rescued us. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He's first. He's at the head of the line. He's the cosmic glue that I read about in physics. I remember listening to the physics prof talk about uh, matter, anything, matter of anything. It's made up of atoms. And an atom, an atom has a shell of context, of space, and it has a nucleus and it has electrons. And 90% of that atom, 99% of that atom is space. And the electrons and the neutrons are positive, negative, and they should repel each other. But they hold together. Why are we not splattered all over the universe? Some cosmic glue is holding us together. And I read in this text, In him, all things hold together. Now, apart from what we've already read in three verses, it says, He is also head of the body of the church. This God in the flesh, creator of all things, and in charge of all things, is also head of the global church and the local expression of his church in Norwalk. Recent history may not make sense to us, but we're still under his control and his direction, and he is building his church here, and we get to be a part of that work. Don't ever lose track of that. For you here as a church, or for you personally in your own life, he is still God, and he's still in charge. And he still loves you and he's still pursuing you. He, I think, and by his angels and through his angels are in constant rescue of us.
verse 18, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. The reference to the firstborn from the dead is reference to, to his resurrection. <clears throat> and his resurrection is significant to us. It's the historic proof of his deity and his authority over death. And the evidence of the eternal life he offers to all who acknowledge and confess their need for his grace and mercy. All of these attributes, the Son of Man, the Son of God, creator of all, authority over all, glue of the universe, head of his church, resurrected from death, all of these point to his position of first in everything and over everything, including our individual lives. You can entrust your life to him. Verse 19 says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. Jesus is all of God in the flesh. Born, lived, died, rose, rules at the right hand of the Father in heaven. I'm reminded of Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verse 5. Although he was equal with God, Jesus, though he was equal with God, emptied himself and took on the form of a bondservant made in the likeness of man, was humbly obedient unto the death on the cross. And God gave him a name above every name that at every knee would bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the rescue plan of God. And I would encourage you not to take all this lightly. It's not just Christian theology or a Christian worldview. It is fact, and you and I are all accountable before God for what we do with these words. They are a source of confidence and hope or condemnation. All has to do with our response to him, our trust in him. Our willingness to yield to him, to come to him. It's your call. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. I understand the rescue concept. And I'm looking at the word and through him to reconcile. When I hear the word reconcile, I, I think of um, broken relationship. Separation, a broken trust, uh, violated, disappointed, hurt, betrayed. I think of rebellion, disrespect. Things that need to be reconciled. Things that have been separated, things that have been broken. And from what Jesus has done for us, I ask the question, what does it take to reconcile something, someone? 
And I think the simplest way I can express that is in the word forgiveness. Because that's how Jesus reconciled us. What is forgiveness? The offended chooses to bear the pain of the offense and not hold it against the offender. God in his son Jesus chose to bear the pain of the offense, the rebellion, the rejection, the neglect of man, his creation. He chose to bear that pain himself and not hold it against us. It works for us in our relationship with God. It works in us in our relationship with each other. Jesus shed Jesus shed his blood in forgiving. So if reconciliation addresses something that's broken, I ask the question, so what's broken in our relationship with God? Jeremiah penned these words, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. The heart is desperately wicked. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, And you, believers in Ephesus, were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were of nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Pictures of our brokenness. Paul wrote to the Romans, For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us match up to his righteousness, his expectation. We cannot. We're not able. You won't find me as a center in a Laker basketball team. You won't find me on the line of the Rams or whoever your team is. I don't match up. I did in junior high, but everyone else grew up and I didn't. For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In 6.23 in Romans, he said, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a penalty, there's a payment, there's a responsibility, there's an accountability for our rebellion to God. And it's death. Unholy people before a holy God cannot stand in the same presence. 
Romans 5, 6 says, while we were still helpless, while we were still helpless in our domain of darkness, waiting for rescue, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He chose to bear the judgment, the pain of our offense, and hold, not hold it against us. He came to rescue us. Peter describes what Jesus did in this rescue. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Finishing the Colossians text, he said, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's pretty good deliverance. With the if... If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. I don't see any condition in that that says I'm in or out of the kingdom of God. He's just saying evidence of your walk and your faith in him will be that you remain firm in him that you return to him in the weakness of your life. I love the man who prayed, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. God knows our heart. And any who pursue him will indeed be received. I'm going to leave you with these thoughts this morning. And uh, there's a reflection of... uh, just one theory. What has God done for us as a, just an evidence to you from last week in verse 12? He has qualified us as heirs of heaven. He qualified us. We didn't earn it. He just declared us qualified. And he's rescued us from darkness. He's transferred us to the kingdom of, of, of his son. And he's reconciled us to himself. That's the work of God in our behalf. Paul wanted the people in Colossae to know that, to believe it, to live in that confidence. And God wants us to know the same thing and live by that. That's why he gave us his word. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for your word. Thank you for the the thoughts to the the people of Colossae and thank you for how they're applicable to us. Thank you that you welcome us and receive us. And that when we come with a whole heart, you allow us to find you. And I'm just grateful, Lord. Thank you for the people in front of me. Thank you for their history and life and love for you and and for each other, their faith. Thank you, Lord, that you're not done in doing that good work in their life know that there's a whole community around who has yet to hear. And thank you for the privilege of being your ambassadors. I thank you, Jesus. Amen.